Welcome to the first episode of The Uninformed. My name is Chase. Also in the room with me is Michael Patrick Murphy. Mike on the mic. And also uh, across from him, uh, looking scrumptious with his little cheeks, there is John Mullen. John Raymond Mullen. Yes, you can call him. Please call him Raymond. Thank you. Uh, Nobody loves Raymond. <laughs> My family calls me JR. Do they? No, I made that it's up. It's really stupid if they do. <laughs> I mean, I knew about J-Ray, Raymond. I don't like J-Ray. That's all I'm going to say. Anything else, I'll go His by His name John is Ray. J-Ray forever now. He shouldn't have told us that. Uh, Mike, please don't put the microphone in your mouth. It's Mike on the mic. It's not a steak burrito, dude. Shh, J-Ray. Quiet down. So before we get off track within the first four minutes of this podcast, I thought we'd give a little bit of an introduction as to what the hell we're doing here. The goal is to uh, share about stuff that we find interesting that we... And, and, and kind of talk about current events, current topics. Some of it might be science some of it might be technology, some of it may just be politics and government function. Um, but we want to share our learning process uh, with all of you so that, uh, you know, we can fill a void that we've kind of found in, in our everyday lives, which is we can't find information that is without bias or without hyperbole. Uh, we either we get the extremes of every argument. Uh, or every uh, position, and it's really quite annoying for three average dudes to have to spend, well, in Mike's case, 50 hours researching something. Uh, Mullen and I's case, more like, you know, 45 minutes. And, and it taking so long to find accurate and helpful information. And so we thought, you know, there's got to be more people like us, right? And maybe we'll share that and we'll give information that is as much free from bias as possible that respects the arguments of the other side or all sides and uh, can do that in an entertaining way. That last part remains to be seen. Uh, we may not accomplish that, but you'll have information. Um, is there anything you guys wanted to add to that? Don't ever doubt J. Ray. <laughs> J. Ray has always overcome. <laughs> I don't know why I've become such an inspiration to him. I just but wanted I, to say J-Ray because you don't like it. But I, and I will continue to do that for the, I don't know, the whole entire podcast process that we have. Sorry. It's yeah. going to dominate the entire conversation. <laughs> yeah, We're going to try to be talking about vaccines. The, the over-under for J-Ray. Mike's going to talk about is J-Ray. <laughs> the over-under for J-Ray references now is starting at 15. Um, so We've uh, said it's six, so I'm taking the over. Yeah. Uh, it is 2021, for those that didn't know. Um, and there is nothing that has affected our lives quite like COVID-19 has over the last year. And so our first episode, our inaugural episode, if you will, uh, is about COVID-19, specifically vaccines. Um, so we thought we would share some of what, you know, what we've learned, whether it be about should we get the vaccine or not, is um, how did we get here, how did the government make this happen so quickly, Um all that kind of stuff. So we're hoping to do three things in this episode. The first one is Mike's going to have some time to be neurotic and, and talk about the 37 hours of research that he's done on MRNA. The second thing is we're going to go over Operation Warp Speed, which is sort of the, I don't know if this is the right word, but like the engine that kind of made this thing go to make this thing uh, accomplish the goals that it set out to have. And then lastly, we're going to talk about future implications that we found either interesting to us or maybe that things we should be thinking about, uh, concerns we should be thinking about as a result of this public-private partnership, mRNA vaccines, 
etc 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 so that's the goal for today uh i promise it will tangent someone will say something stupid more than likely mike um and then uh, probably j ray yeah j ray is also known for that lame or raymond lame man <laughs> and uh so we hope you enjoy uh if you have feedback please leave it uh use nice words uh mullen can't hand i'm sorry j ray doesn't handle uh criticism like that well um actually direct all the mean words to mike because he'll overthink it and he'll be perfect by the time uh by the time the next episode comes so for the first segment we're going to because uh, this vaccine is particularly the COVID-19 vaccine, or what is it called, Mike? SARS what? SARS-CoV-2. Thank you. And your neuroticism would be helpful today. Uh, <laughs> is different than probably the vaccine that all of us have gotten in the last few years, which is the flu vaccine. So, and, and it's important to understand the distinction uh, between that vaccine technology and uh, the one that Mike's going to share a little bit about here. So the flu vaccine... Uh, you're actually getting parts, a weakened version of the flu virus, basically put inside your body so you're, you're better equipped to fight it if you come encounter with it. Um, but the, the COVID-19 or SARS-CoV-2, right, Mike? SARS-CoV-2. Thank you. Uh, is, is a bit different, and, and it resounds around some part of the cell. You, you want to break it down for us? Well, I kind of just wanted to talk about... Um mRNA in general, right? So, cause like everyone's like, this is really new technology and this is like breakthrough and, and it is like, but I think we have to frame kind of what mRNA's function is in the cell normally. And then really what scientists are trying to do to hijack that process to have massive, like, you know, medical breakthroughs, which is kind of what's happening right now. So really like we're homo sapiens. We've been around for roughly 200,000 years. So in 1961, we discovered genetic scientists, you know, geneticists essentially discovered what mRNA was, right? Like they were kind of looking at cells and they kind of saw something coming out of the nucleus and going to the ribosome and no one gives a shit about that. But long story short, in 1961, which is, you know, literally 60 years ago, we even discovered what this, what mRNA is. Um, Also, 1961 is when Toby Keith was born. Rhinestone Cowboy. Does he do that song? Yeah. Did, I don't know if he did the original, but he... He, he definitely redid it. And apparently he loves a very specific bar that he doesn't tell us what bar. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what bar it is? No, I don't, but he does love it. <laughs> so who's who's more patriotic? Uh, Toby Keith or Jay ray Toby Keith. Toby Keith. By a, yeah. By a country mile. There's n- Mullen is not putting his boot in anybody's ass no. anytime in the near future. No. And my daddy did not is it the serve Ameri- in the is army it, is where it the he American lost way his right or... eye. What'd you say? I said my daddy did not serve in the army where he lost his right eye. I've either. never felt more uncomfortable around you than you saying the word daddy. I never want to hear you say that word ever again. <laughs> never. Yeah, Jay Ray, that was really All terrible. right, Mike. It's been sixty years since I'm Says the guy who around. calls himself bad daddy. <laughs> I do not. Yes, you do. I've heard you call yourself Bad Daddy. To annoy you. You do? Yeah. To annoy him. Bad a, Daddy? He a, calls himself Bad Daddy. What you and Deb do in the <laughs> privacy of your home has nothing to do with this podcast. <laughs> well, technically it does because we both have MRNA. Bad Daddy wants a breakfast burrito. <laughs> I would do it just to piss him off. 
Well, that's why I call him Jay Ray. Justification be damned. Let's get back to COVID. (laughs) So essentially, they literally discovered what mRNA was in 1961. So that's Homo sapiens. So our our version of sapiens, right? What we are right now. (laughs) Have been around. There's other sapiens. Okay, so you should look it up. Anyway, just go with human beings. Anyway, uh, so anyway, so Homo sapiens have been around for roughly two hundred thousand years, and we discovered what mRNA was sixty years ago. So, and in that timeline, this is a really new discovery of even what mRNA is, and it's pretty awesome that we've come from sixty years from that point of discovering what it is to then using this amazing technology to, you know, have. Potentially, not just breakthroughs in vaccines, but cancer and other other areas as well. So long story short, um, I just kind of want to go into what what they discovered that mRNA does in the cell normally. And then later on, we're going to kind of there. We're going to talk about how scientists then hijack that process um, and then use it to fight viruses and disease and all these other things, which is really, really cool. But there's there's a thing called transcription and translation. So, to kind of distill this down, you have in your cell, obviously, the nucleus. The nucleus has the DNA, um, and that's, that's pretty much all of our genetic codes. And so, the other part of the cell we want to talk about is the ribosome. So, think of that as like literally the factory of the cell. It creates proteins, pretty much almost everything in our body, our hair, our, our nails, our organs, everything, all the structure comes from proteins, right? So pretty much our body runs on different kinds of proteins being uh, produced via the ribosome in the cell, right? So back to mRNA, uh, what happens is it's called transcription or transcribing or writing down, right? So in our cell, our DNA writes down a particular code for proteins to be created to sustain life. And then the mRNA is what is written down, right? So it's this message that the nucleus, the, the DNA in the nucleus, sends to the ribosome, the protein factory. And so it writes it down. The mRNA leaves the, the nucleus, goes to the ribosome, and then creates said proteins. So that's pretty much what they, dis- they discovered in 1961, which is pretty freaking cool. Uh, and then from there, essentially what scientists... Uh, theorized to some degree is, you know, how do we use this for medicinal purposes? And that we'll get into that a little bit later. Right. Like it has, this thing has an important function that is almost, not that it's separate from the cell, but it's separate from our like genetic, uh, uh, composition, like, um, meaning it's not DNA. It sounds like DNA because it has Yeah. It's like, well, how the hell do we get from the DNA within the cell to producing proteins? You know what I'm saying? Like, how, you know, that's what the genesis were kind of studying. Like, how do we, how does it actually go from the cell, from like the, the nucleus of the cell where the DNA is to the ribosome? Um, how, how do we create these proteins? Like, what is the, what is the kind of uh, the mediator there? And it's mRNA. Essentially, it's, it's, it, it's, 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 it's the one thing that's in the cell. It transcribes, it writes down kind of the plans. Like, here's the plan for the protein that the cell wants to create, and then it sends it out of the nucleus, and then it goes to the ribosome, and the ribosome creates the protein. And if you want the uh, endless amount of literature that Mike read 
to understand this. It will be in the show notes along with that, all the other research that we did. Um, you too can be neurotic. Yes, I was. I, I just wanted to make sure. So again, I'm not a molecular bi- molecular biologist or a virologist, but at the at the base level, that's kind of what the mRNA does within the normal process of the cell. And scientists then hijack that in a good way to fight disease. Um, and so well, the next step is kind of is kind of talking about, to some degree, what are the components of the mRNA vaccine, right? So. Um, Obviously, um, the component to the mRNA vaccine is synthetic mRNA, right? So scientists create mRNA, so some sort of sequence that they want to deliver to the cell to then create a specific protein. Um, so, so that whole process is, again, if we're looking at the history of Homo sapiens, it, it's it's on a very very it, it is new right relative to two hundred thousand years, but it's been a science that we've been looking at for the last three decades. So in nineteen ninety they figured out, okay this is effective in animals. In two thousand five they had a breakthrough, essentially where it was, uh, they found a way to sequence the codons the codons excuse me. Uh, not to get too crazy because I'm not a molecular biologist, but they found a way to sequence the codons of the mRNA to not be completely destroyed by our immune system, which is a massive breakthrough because as soon as you pump it into the body, right, whether it's through an injection or however you get it into the body, our immune system was just annihilating whatever mRNA they were trying to do. So they actually found a way to create the message, the messenger, uh, in a way that, that, the, that the immune system didn't destroy it. The other part is, because mRNA is such a fragile molecule, um, they needed to find a way to... They needed a car. They needed a vehic- vehicular... Uh, a car, yeah, that's probably a better way to go. They needed a vehicle to get it to the cell without it breaking down, essentially, right? So if you want to create a vaccine, you... Like, yeah, mRNA works. It's great. But if you send it into the body, it's such a fragile molecule that it's just going to break down. And so some, maybe in some cases it makes its way to the cell and does what it needs to do, but you can't, you know, at a, at a, at a, at a high efficiency rate, that's not going to work, right? You're not going to just, oh, 20% of the people found, you know. So long story short, there is these things called nanolipid, uh, nanolipid particles, which makes me think of Star Wars and future stuff. But long story short, all that is is an oily ball. They just get different lipids, they put them together, and they stick this mRNA. <laughs> they stick this. They stick the mRNA, the synthetic mRNA, in this in this oily ball, and they inject it into your body. And long story short, they send it in, and this protects it and gets it to the cell. That's pretty much what happens. Right. So, uh, Mike, in your imagination, what would a nanolipid particle be? is an actual car oh, man. in reference how 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 good of a car vehicle does this have to be to make I would sure say, it makes it to the place it needs to go i would say the elon musk daddy uh, musk daddy, daddy musk. musk remember what was the suv that he had for the for the tesla model y i think yeah, I that's correct. we're in the <laughs> pretty much like it's this indestructible car but when they did the test run on the, on oh, the stage oh you're talking about the cyber the truck yeah, yes. yeah the cyber truck yeah yeah <laughs> 
<laughs> so theoretically, what Elon Musk wanted the Cybertruck to actually be is, it is what the nanolipid particle is. Is what the nano. In, so you're the mRNA, and the futuristic truck is the nanolipid particles. I'm half surprised you didn't. Pick I'm up glad up. I'm the Cybertruck in this. Uh, Thank you. Jay raised the Cybertruck. I'm just up in the over so I can win the bet. Thank you. Jay Ray is not uh, strong enough to. <laughs> To deliver to the cells. Yeah, so. I absolutely would get hit by a sledgehammer and be crushed. <laughs> Same the way that sledgehammer of the adaptive immune system. <laughs> so, so the, virologist joke there. So when when we get when the vaccine is offered and or when someone gets the vaccine, they're not getting COVID. They're getting the spike protein. Now, oh well. Uh, so when they get the vaccine. When someone gets a vaccine, they're not being injected with a virus. They're being injected with something that uh, the, the the protein that a virus shares so that our body can recognize it in the future. Yes. So that, now we're talking about something that is kind of new and that is the kind of the amazing, really fast breakthrough that this new biotech, because it is tech, they, they put it into a computer and... They use algorithms to kind of to to sequence the different portions of the virus and all that stuff. But long story short, literally, I think it was January twelfth for the WHO, according to the WHO timeline, where scientists got the sequence of the entire virus. And I think from other coronaviruses. Now, um, all coronaviruses have kind of this spike protein on it. SARS-CoV-2 is a specific spike protein. But they know that from other uh, coronavirus, uh, SARS-CoV-1, which is uh, SARS, uh, and then MERS. Yeah, yeah. There's other ones that, that and there's the common cold uh, coronavirus. There's other. They all kind of share the spike protein, and but they're all different. Obviously, different forms of the spike protein. Um, so anyway, within so they so the NIH works with Moderna. They get them the the sequence of the entire. Uh, SARS-CoV-2, and within two days, I don't know about Pfizer's, but I know within two days, Moderna, once they got the sequence for the spike protein, already had the the sequence for the synthetic mRNA for the spike protein, right? So now I just kind of want to get into the why the spike protein, like who cares about the spike protein, does it matter, whatever. So it was a really cool quote I read when I was reading all the multiple articles I did so I didn't sound like an idiot when I was explaining this to you. Failed. <laughs> so pretty much there was a really cool quote from a virologist I think of like, you know, in the you know, decades ago. But long, long story short, he said, a virus is essentially proteins wrapped, uh, it's bad news wrapped in a bunch of proteins. And that's essentially what a virus is. That's how Mike gets pumped up to go to the gym. He views himself as a virus. <laughs> Just bad news wrapped up in protein, whey protein, but he is bad news. And I'll be honest, he is not shredded and nor is he concerned. I am very shredded. I have uh, 7% body fat and you can't see me. So you can't even argue with that. Anyway, fake so, news. <laughs> 605. Excuse me, J Ray. No one respects someone that has, whose name is J Ray. You are a sentient double quarter pounder at this point. That's what your body looks like. A shred, yeah, a shredded quarter, like a ninety ten. <laughs> shredded. A ninety ten. Uh, ninety ten okay. ground beef. Ninety ten cooked on a grill, so less. Obviously, the fat drops out, so I'm probably ninety five five by the like time Piedmont, I'm cooked. Piedmont I'm shredded. Okay. Or something like that. What was that? Uh, 
Piedmont? I don't remember. Mark Bell. Jay Ray is, is is better than you right now, which is uh, saying a lot. Anyway. That sucks, dude. <laughs> so long very, story He's very sh- concerned. I'm sorry. If you guys could see his face, he is really hurt. Piedmontese is really what I meant to say. I just so back to the spike protein, because we're way off topic. Um, essentially, like, what scientists realize is that, and I don't want to get too much into the biology, because I shouldn't get too much into the biology, because I'm not a molecular bi- biologist or a virologist, but ultimately with SARS-CoV-2, the spike protein is one of four surface proteins, and there's a bunch of proteins within the virus itself. But it's a surface protein. Think of the surface protein, uh, the spike protein, as a hand, and the cell that it that it uh, that it envelops or gets into is the ACE2 receptor, right? So the ACE2 receptor sits on the outside of some cells, usually along the uh, somewhere along the lungs or something like you know with within the the breathing process, right? So those particular cells, and it binds to the ACE2. And it, the ACE2 is kind of the doorknob. So the spike protein is the hand, the ACE2 is the doorknob, and it turns the knob, and then all of a sudden you have the virus now infecting the cell and then using the cell to then replicate, right? So what, what scientists were able to do is they're able to go, oh, wow, here's the, here's the hands of the virus that are turning the doorknob. What can we do to stop this virus? We can cut off the hands, so essentially what they did is they found the most dangerous antigen or, or viral protein um, and they created the protein. They created the, the genetic sequence for just that protein. The virus has a ton of different proteins. Um, there's just spike protein is just one protein of the virus that gives it access to cells. So it's kind of ingenious, right, in its own, in its own regard. But they essentially create this, and then what they do is they put this synthetic mRNA into a nanolipid particle, an oily ball that helps it get to the cell, and then they inject it into you. Uh, And then what ends up happening is, remember we talked about transcription and translation, is there's no transcription because it doesn't go into the cell's nucleus. So it's not your actual DNA. It's just getting through that first cellular membrane and then going directly to the ribosome, and then your and then it uses your own cellular machinery. So, so, so it's kind of like when uh, let's use a, a football team, right, as an example, American football team, and uh, it's like your body's getting a scouting report of what this cell or what this virus is, or to be on the lookout for this thing because you don't want this thing in your body. Yeah, it's like it's like uh, here's here's how the virus gains access. And we're gonna we're going to let the body know. So essentially, it's del- it's delivering this code or this this uh, this kind of like uh, floor plan or blueprint for the the most dangerous part of the virus, which is the virus the part of the virus that gives access to the cell. We're going to deliver that to the cell, and then have that mRNA go into the ribosome, and then your own body is just going to create that portion that antigen that that viral protein so then your body creates it and then your adaptive immune system essentially goes okay we're now we know what this is so now your body know your memory b cells your t cells all the other you know all the 
all the different uh, parts of your adaptive immune system now go, okay, I know what, what the most dangerous part of this is. And so now your body has antibodies that can attack just that portion. So let's say you get, you get the virus and all of a sudden the virus is in your body. Your body knows the spike protein now. Your body knows the part that gives it access to the cell and it attacks that. It doesn't know the other proteins, but who cares? The only protein that matters is the spike protein because that's the protein that gets in the cell and it's the cellular machinery that then replicates that virus and then gets you really, really sick. So it's pretty ingenious um, and it's kind of a new concept and it really, really, really worked. Um, so would that be like zone blocking or your gap blocking on that? Well, it's kind Expert of like, plowman? <laughs> so it's kind of like, uh, I'll kind of look at it two different ways, right? So if you're playing the New York Jets... The scouting report is okay. you just have to show up to win, <laughs> right? But if you're going to go play a more complex team like, I don't know, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The New England yeah. Patriots yeah, would be one the one I would two, use. Which is a bit more, you know, complex of a Very team. schemey. It would be the word yeah, I'd use for them. Schemey. Schemey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You definitely have to find your oily ball so you know what your attack is going to oh, be, God. right? So, um, but uh, – what I wanted it's to actually let me let me let me take your analogy that was such a terrible you you were on the right path but then you had a terrible terrible version of it because the Patriots or the like, Jets it's almost like you have a really really good uh, defensive end and uh, you're going to put two blockers on that you're going to put the running back and the left tackle on that defensive end to stop him from destroying your quarterback right yeah. which is the cell and yeah. so so you you tried. But you almost like failed at the level of J. Ray. Well, it was because the the New York Jets don't have good players. It was hard to pick somebody out. We used to have Debrickishaw Ferguson, yeah, left tackle. To. Ever heard of him? Used to, yeah, left tackle. And Thomas Jones. Time. So those two together, fight Hall, spike Hall of Famers, guys. Hall of Famers. <laughs> anyway, uh, so I think I want. Alan Fanica is a Hall of Famer, and he was a Jet. Yeah. Uh, Manica. Ninety percent of his career was on the Steelers. Nick Mangold and Nick Mangold. Oh, Mangold, Ma- Mangold yeah, so was quiet good. Down, I'll give quiet down. Down. And the British show was good. Quiet down. It might not be a Hall of Famer, but he was good. Okay. Your three best players in the last twenty years have been offensive linemen. <laughs> <laughs> Got him. So I, I think for this segment in particular, because then we're gonna we're gonna move on to the rest Darrell of the Revis. the rest of the show. Um, is uh, Chris Jenkins. No one even knows who that is. He was better on the Carolina Panthers. Was, I yes, do know he who he is. He dominated on the Jets. Quiet down. He, he dominated on the Jets. He was a big fat. He was on this cookie diet anyway. <laughs> <laughs> That's another podcast, guys. He's a whole cookie body. podcast is coming up. <laughs> yeah. So he had to lose some weight to be effective in the Jets scheme, but he was very effective in the Carolina Oh, the Jets, Jets have a scheme? That's interesting. Yeah, so, Rex Ryan, ever heard of him? <laughs> the uh, Greatest defensive mind in the last decade? Two decades? That's a stretch and a half. Rex Ryan is top three. Who's a better Who's a better offensive mind than Rex Ryan in that? Todd period? Bowles, Bill Belichick, Toilet Bowles. Okay, so top three. So you gave me one. Uh, Wade, Wade Phillips. Wade Phillips. Yeah. Good. They've all won Quiet Super down. Bowls. Yeah, man. How, how many did Rex win? The AFC Championship. Oh, he won with Baltimore. He won with Baltimore. He won with Baltimore. I apologize. Yeah, quiet down. He was a D coordinator for Baltimore, and he went to the he went to the AFC Championship with Mark Sanchez as his quarterback. I mean, he had four Hall of Famers. Which means the defense did it all. Who was the head coach of the 2000 Ravens? Um, Brian something, right? Am I thinking uh, correctly? It was the 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 guy that's on TV now. What's hell? Did they even need to have a good coach with how good they were defensively? Right? Is it Billick? 
Billick, that's it. Yeah. So anyway, back to mRNA vaccines. <laughs> so, but I think I want to put like a a, a bookend here because the goal is to to say, from my perspective, anyways, give you information like if you are undecided about the vaccine. Um, two of us have gotten it. I've gotten both of my doses. Mullen, you've got. I've got first. one. And, and Mike, you're intending on getting it when you can, as soon right. as possible. Yeah. Yeah, he's a few years away from the age uh, requirement right now. Um, and he I've works had the virus, home. okay, so I have some immunity probably. Uh, but we, we're intending on, we, we've either gotten it or we're intending on getting it. And we wanted to share that it, the technology that makes it safer than how we traditionally understand vaccines. It didn't even hurt, by the way. It was super easy to get. Yeah, it, it was good. The I name, wasn't scared yeah, at all. Johnny Cash wrote a song about wasn't the, scared at all. If Johnny Cash wrote a song about the vaccine, he'd be like, Instead of hurt, it would be. It didn't even hurt. It didn't even hurt me today, today or <laughs> the next day. Quiet so, down, Jay Ray. So if if we could do too long, didn't read on on what the vaccine is, Mullen, you ready for that? What's the vaccine? Too long, didn't read. TL, TLDR. It's safe, and you don't get COVID from it. It's a. It's spike. impossible to give you. Pr- it's one of the surface proteins of the many proteins of the damn virus. So it's not giving you COVID. It's impossible. It doesn't hit your nucleus of the cell. So it's impossible to change your genetic structure, which is some of the BS lies that are out there. Yeah. I don't, yeah, and it only gave me a taste for human flesh for like a week, guys. So I mean, <laughs> it's not a big deal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it only made Mullen accountable for what, a week? Yeah. Not a big an, deal. I'm an army hammer guy. So <laughs> the other part is, is like the speed at which we got this vaccine which is unprecedented, and that's what we're going to be covering next in the, uh, in the next section. So we'll be back in a second. All right, right. Hey, Ellen with bronchitis. Hurry the fuck up. <laughs> Ellen with <laughs> 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 All right, three. Okay, we're two minutes in, and we haven't said anything. What? So, mRNA. We've had, uh, we've got an insight into... How Mike learns about things, which is... damn good insight. Getting to the atoms of stuff. We've had Mullen's insight, which is ASMR uh, chip eating, um, which you're currently experiencing. And now uh, we're going to talk about... Okay, so the thing about this virus, or this vaccine, sorry, is that we made it in record time. Uh, In the show notes, we'll have some charts that Mike found. uh, And you'll see that typically... We don't develop vaccines as quick at all. Uh, so stuff that we don't ever have to worry about anymore, which is like polio, as an example. Uh, first recognition that polio was a um, like a, a virus kind of thing uh, was in like, what is that, 1915 or something like that. Uh, it took us like 50 years to get the vaccine done. Now, obviously, science and technology should naturally we should be speeding up but you'd be wrong on that ebola found out in 1970 something vaccine last year we developed a vaccine by we i don't mean the three of us i mean uh much more intelligent humans uh developed a vaccine jay ray could have done it yeah 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 i guess uh, if i really if i really was motivated AKA maybe raymond well he has figured pizza out pizza features Cheese futures? I was going to say, he's figured out how to turn cauliflower into pretty much anything. Cauliflower pizza. And if you can turn cauliflower into pizza, you can do anything. 
That's true. He works for a uh, pizza company. That <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Let's get some free marketing no one knows out there. This. It's no Urban Farmer. <laughs> we so do our own creates, brand, private label. Takes. We'll make gluten-free anything for anybody. How's the sauce? Saucy. <laughs> it's gluten-free. <laughs> it's, it's all gluten-free. It's, uh, it's gluten-free and saucy. Yeah. Proceed, please. Um, thank you for that help. Uh, so, we, how did we get from, oh shit, pandemic in March of last year to, oh shit, pandemic coming to an end with a vaccine in, in just under a year? Um, it really is based upon one really important concept, which is not uh, abnormal to the United States, which is the, the, the joining of public in private enterprise, right? And so uh, they call it public-private partnerships or triple P or P3, depending on where you're reading. PPP? Right? Yeah, well, PPP, yeah, you know me. Yeah. So I'm going to call it triple P instead of all that stuff. Um, P3 is also a snack pack. From, it is a um, snack pack. And if you P get the to the third power? The, if you get like the chocolate-covered... Uh, isn't that a nuts. lunch? Isn't that a lunchable item? Well, it's made by the same people that make lunchables. Also, free marketing for lunchables, fantastic. Still yeah. to this day, I'm 30 years remember, old and love the pizza. You, lunchable. I was gonna say, do you remember when the pizza ones came out and like the rich kids at school had them and we just had the yeah. the shitty turkey and cheese? The, the only thing I could do is put Doritos on my bologna sandwich to <laughs> be cool. <laughs> so, oh, Jay Ray, <laughs> living in poverty. <laughs> anyway. So this triple P, this partnership between the federal government and private enterprise uh, was called Operation Warp Speed. And so just I want to give the basic like organizational structure. And Can I just of, say something? Of course. Real quick, not to stop you. you but like, don't ever do anything real quick. Star not even Wars, your 605 squad. Jay Ray, quiet him down, please. So Shut Star up, Wars, Chase. Think of like... Chaz. Think of the Millennium Falcon going at normal speed. And then think of... When the Millennium Falcon went warp speed, right? So that's what this was. It's literally a Millennium Falcon. It's, it's, it's what's his name? Who's the dude that did it? Han Solo. Han Solo. But what's his real name? In real Harrison life? Ford. It's literally Harrison Ford and Chewbacca going warp speed to get a vaccine. That's literally the difference between how we normally got viruses yeah. or vaccines, excuse me. And how we got vaccines in this particular situation. Mike, uh, so Mike you're welcome for that uh, reference. The more specific reference I believe he was trying to make on the solo thing was him doing the Kessel Run in 12 parsecs. That's how fast we did we the vaccination did rollout. Parsecs. Pretty yeah. much. Basically, what, what what what's happened in Mike's life over the last couple of months is he found out about the Mandalorian and uh, watched it. And now thinks he's an expert on anything Star Wars related. And he now believes that is the way. Yeah, this is the way. This is the way. <laughs> so, Operation Warp Speed. Uh, it was... Uh, really fast. <laughs> it was really fast. Vroom. Uh, and, Go far uh, Everyone had their <laughs> specific roles. So, the federal government... I'm trying to power through to give people Can information. You, all right. As we continue, though, I would like you to try to balance out the levels with the Star Wars references. So, okay. If Han Solo is the main driver... Who would be the main driver Ooh. of the rollout? Who's the Chewbacca of the rollout? Being that's Donald Trump. Okay, he's the Chewbacca. Making noises that no one understands. <laughs> <laughs> that's the DJT. 
<laughs> Donald J. Trump. <laughs> that was the worst Chewbacca. That was not a terrible Chewbacca. It, it was, was not a good Chewbacca. Could you do it again? I, I didn't really. <laughs> it's all right. It was like Ellen DeGeneres with Rock. I just <laughs> no, that's you. Your, little, your podcast voice is Ellen DeGeneres with degenerate with with uh, bronchitis. Um, so, can I tell the people about this? By people, I mean the person that's listening to this. Johnny, here's what Operation Warp Speed is. <laughs> Mom, Dad, and Johnny. Yeah. Uh, so, there was like three uh, entities, if you will, that were involved. And there's obviously more entities under these three, but it was the military. There was uh, federal agencies such as HHS, CDC, those type of folks. And then third was private enterprise. And so specific for this conversation, but it's not limited to just these two companies, we're referring to Pfizer and Moderna. And the reason why is because those are the two vaccines that are readily available for the world at this time. And their mRNA. And their mRNA, which fit the, the show topic. Um, so uh, for the military perspective, which this is the part that I thought was the coolest, is the logistical work that they did. Uh, to help get this vaccine up and running. The federal government, one, provided dollars and some securities for the companies, so in this case Moderna and Pfizer, to pre-purchase doses of the vaccine. So there was some guarantee of monies to the companies to help speed up and focus their process. Yeah, so like, the distinction. Moderna has 800 employees, so from the get-go, they were... They, they were the true candidate of OWS, which is not just money uh, to buy the vaccines, but also help from the NIH, which is the National Health Institutes, and help from the government for just kind of just general logistical support, right? And so Pfizer, who didn't want anything to do with the politics, did all that stuff on their own. They're like, we don't want any of your money. We don't want any of the strings attached. They have 50,000 worldwide employees and a multi, multi, multi-billion dollar year um, budget. So they have done tons of phase three trials. They have done all that stuff, right? Moderna has not. So Moderna was looking for all the help they could because they have 800 employees versus Pfizer, a multinational company, 50,000 employees, which pretty much partners with BioNTech to create it, right? So what both of them got at the back end, right? So Pfizer didn't get any help in the front end, but on the back end, before phase three trials even started, the government said, we're going to buy a billion, I think in at least a billion for Moderna, but then one point... We're talking nine, dollars, not, yeah, do, yeah, not yeah. doses. Yeah, $1.9 billion for uh, Pfizer, This right? is money for you right yes, now. Yes, this is before... So like, if you're thinking of like capital allocation like of a private company... This is why um, this is this is essentially why most pharmaceutical companies take forever to create vaccines that come to they don't start distribution. They don't start manufacturing until phase three trials are a hundred percent sure that this isn't gonna kill anybody. Yeah, and and a hundred percent sure that their return on investment that, that's why exactly. Yeah, yeah, because the you know, typically um, why new medicine costs so much is not because the, the pills themselves are expensive to make. 
but it is how much it took to get to the first pill. Right. Yes. So the R and D around that. And what, what Operation Warp Speed, in my opinion, very simply was trying to do was to do two things. Was to make steps happen concurrently in the approval yep. process while also uh, eliminating which eliminated some bureaucracy and some red tape, right? But while also planning at the same time the logistics of both buying, sort or storing and uh, distributing. distributing. Right, and so all those things were happening at the same time. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And so, uh, what what I found really remarkable about this is how successful the non political entities were in achieving their goals. So Pfizer and Moderna created a vaccine in record time, two separate vaccines in record time, and then the military created a safe place, a safe infrastructure, both from like a, a cyber perspective and then also shipping and logistics and all the other jazz perspective. There was, uh, we got to use the military's expertise of logistics to make this thing happen. Also, just a kind of a cool caveat story too, is that Moderna received like two and a half billion up front for manufacturing and research and all that other stuff. Because they because built a whole new building for it, right? They, yeah, they literally had 800 people, right? So they were getting a lot of logistical support from the government because they were not They were kind of a startup in Massachusetts. Like, they're not this, like, huge company like Pfizer. Viagra, uh, ever heard of it? <laughs> Pfizer, ever heard of it? Capital P. Um, uh, even though the P is silent. Anyway, so... Um, so essentially like Pfizer is this giant corporation that has done phase three trials, um, with other medications and other vaccines. So they, they know, they know the ropes. They pretty much, they, they got together with BioNTech and they essentially said, you have the MRNA vaccine. We have everything else. So let's get together and, uh, and get this done. They did not want the, um, political strengths, right? They didn't want... Any federal bureaucracy messing with their process, their scientific process, their distribution process, their manufacturing process. The only thing the government really did for them was say, we'll pay for this many vaccines pre-phase three trials, which is insane. Like, in the grand scheme of things, like, it's not insane because, you're like, it's a really reputable company and, you know, the, the idea of mRNA is really cool but you don't know if it's safe. Like you don't have the sample size. You phase one and phase two is like a low sample size to essentially understand what dosage you want. And is it going to instantly kill humans? <laughs> That's essentially all you have at, at pre phase three trials. Right? So essentially at the end of the day, it, 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 it was a huge risk aversion for Pfizer and Moderna. Right? So like before phase two trials, both companies had, over a billion dollars of guaranteed contractual just from the U.S., contracts just from the U.S. Um, And so that's a big risk aversion. So although Pfizer didn't receive all the upfront help that Moderna did because it's a smaller company, it... It got some assurances that they could proceed at a pace that they typically don't proceed at. So from a pure market standpoint, it's a terrible investment, right? Like, we don't know if this is going to work. We, we have a high probability that it's going to work. We think it's going to work. We trust your company. But we're going to put a $1.9 billion of guaranteed vaccines bought before we even know that it's really safe. Yeah. 
So this is why vaccines normally take 20 years, 10 years at the minimum. I think measles, mumps is like 10, 15, 20 years, right? Polio is like 50 years. Uh, long story short, like all these other vaccines, even the fastest ones that have come to FDA approval, um, at the end of the day are, you know, the reason why these companies take so long is because it's billions of dollars for them to spend in their own R&D within their own budgets and liabilities, right, to bring these to, to fruition. The federal government was like, we need this fast. Uh, even though Pfizer, we're not helping you with the upfront costs, we'll help you with the back end costs and we'll guarantee you this, right? So, sorry, Chase. No, no, it's all good uh, because what and, – and you're able to do this as you'd explained because of the technology of the vaccine, right? It, it's different. The, the, the risks weren't necessarily uh, similar to uh, if you're giving someone actual COVID, right? The risks were just is, – is how we're dis- – is how the – What'd you call it? An oily ball? How the oily ball that held the spike protein? Nanolipid protocol, uh, part- particles. Sorry. Yeah. Say that three times fast. Nanolipid particles. Nanolipid particles. Nanolipid particles. Without three times fast. <laughs> I said three because I didn't think you could hold your breath for five. <laughs> and I think I was pretty spot on. Okay, I'll give you that. <laughs> Jay, Ray, what do you think? Okay. Next. Not concerned. <laughs> um. So, because the, the vaccine itself is safer in, 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 in the type of vaccine that it is, and then you put, you know, world experts together on, I think it was six different committees with 15 different uh, clinical trial experts, we're moving at a pace together in ways that the world typically doesn't work, or our country doesn't even work, right? And so, it, you know, from my perspective, it was such a... Uh, I, I think this is a, a real. It's it's kind of like ticks me off a little bit that uh, it doesn't get the the success recognition that it deserves in general media perspectives uh, because of the failure of our political leadership, not the failure of leadership on these uh, teams, particularly the military uh, perspective, and then also the, the the vaccine technology. So Pfizer and Moderna, they set out goals and they achieved them in the timeline that was both safe. And reasonable, like they were doing clinical trials in what the summer is when the 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 end of summer towards the end of summer, if I remember correctly. Uh, so phase one and phase two were were really quick, and then phase three. Right, right. That's why I mean, phase three was like July, August, something like that. I want to say, yeah. Let me. Yeah, so while he's looking that up, I'll keep going. But uh, and so like they set out in in as Mike Mike and I were talking about this uh, earlier before we started recording, they weren't willing to cut corners. They, they weren't going to cut corners. They had to tell the government, no, we're not cutting corners, <laughs> right? And, and so in the military had two goals. So the, the four-star general that was um, kind of the head logistics man of the, the, the operation, uh, Gustav Perna, I have no idea if I said that right. Apologies in advance, general. Um, or anyway. Uh, he's definitely listening. Yeah, he's, he's, he's eager for this release. Uh, he was not available for comment, though. Uh, so General Perna was like, no, our, our measures of success for this are, are we shipping vaccines once they're approved by the FDA within 24 hours? And then are we, have we created a, uh, a cadence, I think is the word he used, of continuous shipments of vaccine doses to the individual states? Yeah. And 
they've done that with what with what uh, with how fast everything's gone. They've ach- both sides have achieved their goals. Now I don't think you see like when I was doing my research, all the all the articles you find are just where Operation Warp Speed failed, right? And and the, that's not exactly a fair summation of what has happened. So the failures from journalist perspective and and maybe even some science folks is that our distribution like not distribution of from factory to states but our distribution from the states that collect them to getting them into people's arms has failed but that was never the scope of the people actually doing the work in operation warp speed that was the result of over promising of politicians such as our president at the time yeah. uh, the uh, the head of the secretary of HHS uh, Alex Azar. Alex Azar. yeah thank you um, they over promised against the uh, the wishes of the head of the CDC um, the general non-political folks and I, if I can throw out here like like literally they over and I'm okay with like honestly like I'm okay with with politicians, with leaders really pushing the timeline in terms of like concern for, you know, just the general public, you know what I'm saying? Like not just the United States, but the world, like, Hey, let's get this done. Um, but I'm not okay with them doing it at the cost of safety. Mm-hmm. And that's essentially what was happening is I feel like from what I read that there was, there and I, I, I'm, I'm not naive, right? And I don't think any of us should be naive. Like, political timelines matter. Uh, and I'm okay with that. But I I am not willing to sacrifice safety or the legitimacy of the first mRNA vaccines and the, implica- and the implications of what those mRNA vaccines are going to do long term uh, for medicine in general. Like, I'm not willing to sacrifice that and the human flourishing that comes from that outside, right? Like for one particular political timeline, like fuck that. Like I'm not, I'm not it, 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 so they wanted it by October. Like it's okay to have goals and say, Hey, we want this by October. We want this done by October. But the fact that Pfizer and I think it was what, seven or eight other pharmaceutical companies that were part of OWS or not part of OWS got together and signed a declaration saying, "Hey, we're just we're gonna make sure this is safe. We're not we're not go, we're not willing to sacrifice the legitimacy of this vaccine, and not just the legitimacy of this particular vaccine because this is one mRNA vaccine, but the future of what mRNA can do for humanity in terms of fighting disease and medicine. We're not willing to sacrifice that for a political timeline and 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 a particular person getting getting it done before a." election right so like my thing is i'm okay with setting really really stringent goals but i'm not okay with 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 maybe not meeting those i'm not okay with sacrificing safety to to meet those goals and i feel like that's what a lot of these pharmaceutical companies who are always the evil people trying to make money right like they literally got together and they were like we're not going to do this on a political timeline. We're going to do this on a science timeline. And I respect that. And I, as much as you might hate pharmaceutical companies for being shady, in this case, they fought against the powers to be to produce a vaccine that was safe and effective uh, in a really, really short timeline, which already makes people a little skeptical to start, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
and and so just to kind of put a cap on this, like I I really uh, am appreciative of the efforts that were made to keep Operation Warp Speed as a priority, right? Um, but also to keep it away from political theater, right? And so like um, the pharmaceutical companies, and I even think like Dr. Burks and uh, and General uh, Perna were were not interested in doing things that came with the election cycle. They were not interested in uh, overstepping their lanes, right? Now, there was, there was competing goals. Like, the CDC was cared much more about, okay, distribution ends once the injections get into somebody's arm, whereas the Army was like, no, distribution ends where it, when it gets to the states, the, the designated place for, at, at each individual state. Uh, and the pharmaceutical companies were like, yeah, distribution ends when we start making it. In, in high in high uh, volumes, right? So it was successful, and I and I want to end with that. And the reason why it's not successful is because our elected officials and or appointed officials, depending on uh, which position, uh, let politics get in the way of its success. And 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 that we'll talk about that more. I'll kind of have a soapbox on that in a, in a moment here, but uh, that is sort of the, the failure of Operation Warp Speed is that the politics couldn't unite about one thing uh, when it came to uh, Operation Warp Speed. Any closing thoughts on that before we talk about future implications? Jerry, what do you think? I'm, I'm good with all that. That all made sense. Um... Professional. Okay, so to end the show here, um, we're going to give some final thoughts and due to the gigantic portion of the research being done by um, virologist Michael Murphy and logistics coordinator Chase Zyke. Uh, we're going to pass it over to them to kind of give um, what the future of all of this looks like and the optimistic outlook or the pessimistic outlook, whatever they want to tell us. So, so I would argue for an optimistic approach, to be honest with you. Um, a lot of times within science, the problem is funding, right? So there's a right now, there's probably 50 different scientific endeavors that are promising, uh, potentially promising, but we, there's just only so many dollars to go around, right? And so the, the, the positive about this is um, the lady, and I don't know if I'll be able to pronounce her name correctly, but it's a really cool story of... Catalin Karinko. Catalin Karinko. Uh, she's a Hungarian scientist that emigrated to the United States and worked on this for years um, without um, a lot of funding. Um, ultimately, by 2005, her and her uh, partner, Drew Weinstein, uh, she worked for the University of Pennsylvania, Penn, um, they finally had a breakthrough in mRNA, long story short, uh, which has essentially led us here, right? But there's so many applications for mRNA. It's not just like, oh, thank God we got out of particular like COVID-19 pandemic. mRNA is a really, really cool way to um, essentially use the cellular machinery to fight against all sorts of mutations within the body. For instance, cancer is... Tumors occur when there's when there's mutations, uh, cellular mutations, uh, and 
so like one-way mRNA, which I think, I believe, is the original reason for the research to begin with is to fight cancer, is that literally what they do is they take a sample of your blood or any kind of DNA sequence that you can have, they get an idea of what your normal DNA is, then they take a biopsy of the tumor, and then they compare the two. And then what the algorithm and the, it's literally biotechnology, it's using tech, it's using algorithms. What it essentially does is it compares the tumor sequences, genetic sequences, with your actual legitimate genome as a human. And then it goes, here are all of the mutations within the proteins, right? So it allows not just like a specific cancer, but specific to you, right? So like, let's say Jay Ray had cancer. That's um, John Raymond uh, Mullen over there. Let's say Jay Ray had cancer. They would be able to take a biopsy of... <laughs> they would be able He's to take so a... so angry. He is very angry right now. He... I just don't know. That he was the best example. He disapproves of the joke. <laughs> uh, let's say Jay Ray had cancer. Uh, and... What they could potentially do is take a biopsy of his tumors and get an idea of what his so, DNA, what is, what is. So in this imaginary <laughs> instance, I have multiple tumors. He has a lot of tumors. Uh, Shit. Uh, so anyway, they, they could then compare the two and essentially say, here are the proteins, right? When we talked about the spike protein with SARS-CoV-2 or COVID-19, whatever you want to call it. Um, and then attack those particular proteins, right? They can literally synthetically make an mRNA vaccine that deliver that is deliverable to the cell to specifically attack that person's cancer cells the the antigens the 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 bad proteins that are causing all of the problems instead of radiation or um what's the other one Chris Tyat we need him not radiation but um chemotherapy chemotherapy is which is just radiation no, there's two no, separate things. Essentially, radiation normally comes after chemotherapy. Kill everything. Um, so yes, it's good because it kills all the cancer cells, but it's bad because it kills all the healthy cells too, which is why people get really sick. Essentially, what you can do with mRNA potentially is attack just the bad cells, leaving all the healthy cells alive. It's a really fascinating progression in cancer technology, and now that it has all of this. I don't know, uh, spotlight, it's going to get a lot of private and public funding, which is awesome. Um, and there's a lot of other uses, but I think cancer is probably like, <laughs> everyone's in some way, shape or form has been affected by cancer. So to personalize it to some degree, this can have not just an effect on cancer, but other viruses, all these other things, the flu potentially. Yeah. I was going to say the big three that I remember seeing was like HIV, cancer, and the flu. Yeah. The f- right. Yeah, and we don't have to go too much into that. No. But yeah, yeah. And, and you know, because like the thing that um, to sort of segue off of that a little bit, because I'm not as optimistic, uh, but that's more or less because I think uh, I I don't trust um, I don't fully trust our the people who hold the power to do something with this information to to allow that information to happen. So what what I mean is. Um, I was reading something today. I think it was in the Japan Times, but I think they just pulled it from Bloomberg. I think it was an editorial, an op-ed. Um, and it was simply saying, like, all these other countries don't have access to the vaccine like we have access to the vaccine or other high uh, 
richer countries, right? And so the question was, should we share the intellectual property that Moderna and Pfizer, as an example, to other companies so they can start producing their own vaccines, whether it be cheaper, yada, yada, yada. Do we share that faster than we typically do? Because, right, so generic meds are, uh, as after the, the copyright laws uh, expire, right? And so, you know, we don't have to answer that question now, but, like, for me, what this means is, what, what I saw here was uh, a failure of leadership in a couple of different ways, and um, I, I don't, well, let me be clear, I don't mean that from Pfizer or Moderna or any of the other companies, nor do I mean from our uh, military leaders uh, for Operation Warp Speed, nor do I even think it was, like, the, uh, the scientists or the, the specialists that advised Operation Warp Speed. But there was so much information that we just didn't have for so long about what they were doing, what they were designing, and um, how it was going to affect us that we've got a lot of people that don't believe still that the vaccine uh, doesn't give you COVID. We have a lot of people who uh, think that, as I'm remembering our Alex Jones friend here, uh, he thinks that it's going to be a microchip and Bill Gates is going to start tracking us from his, uh, his uh, uh, portico. In I still think that. As, as he probably types it on his iPhone. <laughs> that right. has. Right. Yeah. The Windows phone never made it. Um, <laughs> and, and so it's like, I, I just get frustrated that we, we can't find a way um, to not be happy about success that we've, that we've had as a country or as a world. And, and so like, politics and the desire to be reelected and to stay in lockstep for the most part with your quote constituency thank you instead of just figuring out when is the right time to, to say and do what is quote right and I uh, <laughs> I was so frustrated that our high level elected leaders from the president on down we could not get behind a unified message as to the success and the progress that we made with Operation Warp Speed. It bothers the hell out of me still that we don't have that type of unification about getting this vaccine to people, getting accurate information to, to people about the vaccine, and not persuading them to take it, per se, because I don't think that that's not the American way, right? We don't force people to do something they don't want to do, but we can't even get people right information so they can make the best decision. This one just so, seems... Go ahead. So, so yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. I was going to say, so in that regard, like when we hear those optimistic stories about some private intervention, so like, you know, Honeywell coming in in North Carolina and uh, helping to basically fast track uh, vaccination efforts in terms of like using their internal mm-hmm. logistic programs. Like, does that does that help or hurt you in that regard? Um, in the grand outlook. So like when you're looking at like the grand scale, you know, like it's a, it's small, you know, it helps in North Carolina, but does that, does that make you more frustrated because there should be a universal language that our entire country needs to have in terms of a rollout? Or are we, I think, I think framing this is really important. So figuring out where we failed for the future is really important. Right. That doesn't mean the whole thing was bad. It just means that, like, if we want to continue to progress in every area of life, obviously we're all enlightenment guys. We're all believe in progress, right? Like, we can 
no positives, right, of what, what, what was done here. But it is really important to note the negatives and how political timelines and how certain things can really hinder not just like a vaccine that happened in like not just record like an insane record time. Yeah, not not like safe vaccine. Yeah, a record by uh, a month or two. It was a record by years, De- like a decade, yeah. right? Like so. So we're talking about insane records. So we want we don't want to min- minimize the progress, but part of like I think one of the good things about progress is that we expect better the next time and our and our and our standards rise as 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 we move forward. And I think the next time there's a lot to fix. There's a lot to make better. And I think is what Chase is trying to say. It's like we lacked not only federal leadership, we lacked state leadership where when it came time to distribute, not only was the federal government not really ready, but the states who also had almost a year to to at least plan. And there's, there's a lot going on in terms of hospitals. There's a lot going on for everybody. But the federal and state like leadership could have been way better for many, many states in that, like, hey, we know we're getting a vaccine in a year to a year and a half, from the start we knew that. Like it, even like the, the 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 late timelines was like we'll get it in a year and a half, right? Like so a year was a little quick, but they had a year to plan from the knowledge of us getting this right and the need for a vaccine, and it was a it was a failure in terms of we could be we could be, could be doing a lot better than we are right now, yeah. and. I think one of the positive things about progress is that our expectations raise, and I don't think it's unreasonable for us to have higher expectations for our country, uh, not just to develop a vaccine, but to to get it out, to get it in people's arms. Like right now, Israel, I know they're a smaller country, I th- and I, I might be wrong with this number, but it's something like 60 out of 100 Israelis have had the vaccine already. Uh <laughs> Like they they've done a really good job. Like or, or, and of of the people that could have got it, I think based on their numbers, like they've gotten sixty out of hundred vaccines in an arm. Yeah, and I I just can't. Um, I, I agree. I just don't. I don't think it's the American political way to look at the lessons we've learned from this and figure out how to do it better. Because I don't think we're incentivizing our our elected officials to think in that capacity now. It's of my opinion that they shouldn't have to be incentivized to think in that way. Um, and, you know, when when this was rolling out, there was a really – Trump was trying to get reelected. He was trying to get reelected, and it did not look good from the beginning, right? And, and the motivation to overpromise, the motivation to undermine science was based upon the ability to retain either the White House and or – the Senate. And that, that is, this is unacceptable. It's unacceptable. That's how it affects our daily lives. The vaccine technology is awesome. The, the safety of it is astounding, right? Yeah. There is nothing short of miraculous of the cooperation of those three major entities, meaning the military, HHS, CDC, and uh, private enterprise, right? But the fact that our political leaders couldn't get out of the way to let it happen in safe, successful ways is mind-blowing to me. But that's my diatribe. Uh, any closing thoughts 
that we haven't already said. Anything you want the listeners to know or apologize for because we sounded probably uh, stupid at times. I would just like to say that the the Ray in J Ray stands for Raymond, which is John Mullen's middle name. <laughs> I think if one thing I can make sure people understand, um, and I'm sure that people understand, is that they all know my middle name. <laughs> So if you have feedback, uh, leave it wherever you find this. Uh, I'm sure Mike will – you could leave it on one of Mike's uh, Facebook memes that he says he doesn't do, but he does all the time. He, he's based, I do. I never say I don't do. Yeah, but you're, you, you, you abuse it. That's what I want to say. Check my wall. <laughs> so if you have feedback or there's things you want us to talk about or things, if you never want to hear us again, that would be good to know too. Uh, we'll just won't tell you about it. Uh, but for now, that's what we got. Uh, next episode will be coming out soon, quote unquote. We don't know when that is, but it will be. Uh, see you next time.